I'll be uh, continuing our series this morning. So uh, for those of you who are either visiting with us the first time or just haven't um, been, been keeping up with what we're talking about the past few weeks, we are going through a study called Goliath Must Fall. And it's based off of a book called Goliath Must Fall by Louis Giglio. A really fantastic book, but we're looking at all these different fears, all the different um, big things that, that we face. And there, there are giants, right? Jesus has already slain the big giants, right? But as, as sinful creatures, right, and, and as imperfect people who still go back and forth between trusting Jesus, not trusting Jesus, we tend to let these dead giants still have power over us. And so, oh, beautiful. Thank you. Awesome. This is the best day ever. Um, awesome. That's so much better. Thank you, Jess. Um, we still let these giants have power over us. And so um, we're, and we're looking at David, David and Goliath, the story of David and Goliath, what that teaches us about life's giants. And so uh, real quick, uh, if you could turn with me to 1 Samuel 17. Um, we're going to be there. You can use your Bible. You can use your Bible app. You can uh, look on the screen um, because the passages will be on the screen. Um, but go ahead and turn there. And as you turn there, uh, I'm going to pray us in, if that's all right. So here we go. I'm going to... Uh, Open us up in prayer. Lord, Lord, we love you. We love you. And we, we love the things that uh, you do in our lives. God, we confess the ways that maybe we've let uh, dead giants have power over us, right? And God, I just ask that this morning, would you meet us where we're at? Whatever giants we're facing, whatever things we're carrying with us, whatever, whatever things we're holding on to, or whatever things that may be from our past still haunt us today. God, I just ask right now in this time that we would look to you. We remember how much you love us and accept us. Uh, God, I, I, pray, I pray in this time that, um, that we, would, we, would, we would encounter you and that you would speak. So we love you. Would you get me out of the way so that you can do the teaching? Holy Spirit, we invite you into this place. Would you take the reins? We love you. It's your name pray. Amen. Amen. So first, we're going to be, like I said, we're going to be in 1 Samuel 17. And uh, I want us to look real quick. We're, we're talking about this giant. Uh, specifically, we're talking about the giant or the fear of rejection. Right? And, and so... Um, by a show of hands, how many of you have been rejected or have feared rejection in your life, right? So if you haven't experienced rejection in some shape or form, you've probably feared it, or perhaps it looked a little bit different. Maybe you feared it um, in a way that is shaped like, oh, I have to do my job well. Everything rides on this because if not, everything is going to fall apart, right? And so you're worried about things riding on your shoulders and getting uh, rejected by a boss or your family or friends or whatever it may be. But I want to look real quick before we kind of dive into a lot of that. Otherwise, David was actually rejected in 1 Samuel 17. And this, when, when I was getting ready for this week, I didn't really think about this first example. Um, and it, re it, really, it really surprised me. And so we're, uh, first, real quick, we're going to look at verse 28. So um, David right? David is this young man, and he eventually became king of Israel, but this is way before he's king. He's just a teenager at this point. He's about 12, 13 years old, and there's a war going on between the Israelites and the Philistines, and there's this nasty dude named Goliath, right? 
He's this big warrior, and everyone's intimidated. And David's brothers are out on the battlefield while David is tending to his father's sheep. And his dad's like, hey, go take your brother's lunch. Now, a chapter before this, in 1 Samuel 16, David has been anointed king by the prophet Samuel. What you need to know is that David's got like seven other brothers. And none of them were anointed king except for him. He's the youngest. He's the run of the litter. He wasn't even called to line up with them because he was out tending the flocks and he's just an afterthought. And we're going to see how his older brother, Eliab, is actually bitter because he's been rejected. And so, verse 28, Now Eliab's eldest brother heard when he spoke to the men. That's David. David's asking questions like, what's going on? Who's this guy named Goliath calling everyone out? He said to David, he says, Why have you come down here? And with whom have you left all those sheep in the wilderness? I, I know your presumption and the evil of your heart, for you've just come down to see the battle. And David asks questions. He's like, what have I done now? Was it, was it not a question? I mean, was it not a word? Was it not just me asking questions about the battle? And we see, I want to pause right here. There's so much in this that, that it, while it's a few verses... It's so interesting to see that how Eliab, who's been rejected, right, by God to be king of Israel, is now lashing out against David because rejected people reject people, right? And so that's the first example. We see David getting called out, kind of chewed out by his older brother. He's like, you're this snot-nosed kid. You're going to be king, right? You're just out here because you think you're hot stuff now, and you're going to be king. And so that's the first thing that we see with David being rejected. The second way that David gets rejected is actually by his king, Saul, King Saul. And so David is like, I'll go fight this giant if no one else is going to do it. And Saul overhears him. He's like, all right, kid, come on. Let's get you fitted for armor because you're going to die otherwise. And so verse 33, Saul says to David, you're not able to go against this Philistine to fight him because you're but a youth. And he, Goliath, has been a man of war since his youth. So now we see Saul telling David, hey, you're not good enough. You're not big enough. You're not strong enough. You're not experienced enough. You don't know what you're doing. What makes you think that you can go and you can face this giant? How many of you have watched VeggieTales? Why can't little guys do big things too? Junior asparagus, right? That's just a thing that just popped in my head right there. Like, he's being told, you can't do this. You don't know what you're doing. You're not good enough. You're not strong enough. And then the third way that we see David get rejected is in verses 41 through 44. And the Philistines moved forward, and they came near to David with his shield bearer in front of them. Philistine, wow, singular, that's Goliath. And the Philistine looked, and he saw David, and he disdained him because he was just a youth. He's ruddy, and he's handsome, so he's baby-faced. David's a baby-faced kid, who's coming out into the battlefield. And he says to him, he says, My dog, that you come to me with sticks? And the Philistine, Goliath, cursed David by his false gods. And the Philistine said to David, Come to me, and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air, to the beasts of the field. So again, we see David is looked down upon, this time because he hasn't seen war. He hasn't seen war. He doesn't know how to fight. And Goliath is this big warrior. And he's like, Dude, easy. I'll just break you like a twig. And so David is facing rejection and, and 
How in the world does this tie into the ways we face rejection, right? Because we're not going to battle against giants. We're not being anointed kings over Israel, right? And so this is very different, but I just, I think it's so important for us to analyze the different ways that we face rejection, because we do. And it's either because rejected people have rejected us, or people have told us we're not good enough. You see, we all struggle with rejection in some sort of degree. Because the opinions of others matter to us as much as we hate to admit it. I mean, it's really easy for me, like, yeah, I'll brush it off, but deep down, sometimes we carry those opinions with us. We're like, maybe I am not good enough. Maybe, maybe I am not experienced enough to do this. Maybe I am not pretty enough to do this. Maybe I'm not smart enough to do this or talented enough. Some of you, you've been rejected by a parent or a spouse. Maybe some of you have been rejected by a job or a close friend. And that sting drives you to this place of of insecurity with all the relationships you enter into, the new ones, because you're like, what is this person going to think of me? How am I going to fail? It's going to make this person leave or think differently of me. Or even opportunities that come your way, you're like, no, I can't do that because I'm not good enough. I'm not smart enough. Fill in the blank. And if you haven't faced rejection to some sort of like powerful degree, for you, it could be that maybe you just put too much stock into your work performance, and that's where you place your value. And you find yourself people-pleasing and and putting your value in how other sinful, broken humans see you rather than the perfect God who created you, right? Either way, the lie that you're not good enough, you're not fill-in-the-blank enough, resounds in your head over and over and over, and you might be driven to value yourself in the places you were never meant to, to find your worth in things, activities, devices that you were never meant to. And it's a mess. It's a mess. Because we're never meant to let past rejection or fear of failure drive how we live our lives. Because when we do, we will either collapse under that pressure or we will engage in self-destructive tendencies and fall apart. And that's going to happen unless we remind ourselves of the truth. And the truth is this. And this is actually the main point of the entire sermon, and then we're dissecting it. So this is it. This is the truth. This is the main point. God has already accepted us. That's it. Sermon's over. Have a good Sunday, right? Like, like. It, it, it sounds so simple, it's really not, because we forget it all the time. Like, I'm being entirely honest here, I forget this all the time. Because we're humans, and, 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 and we, we don't always remember that God accepts us for who we are, right? No matter what. Obviously, he wants to conform us into the image of his son, but he loves you as you are. He's not going to dump you based off of your job performance. He's not going to abandon you in your time of need. Maybe he won't help you the way you want to be helped. But that doesn't mean he's abandoned you. So we're going to unpack this. What does, it, what does it mean that God has already accepted this? What are the things that he's shown us in his word through the things that he's done to show us that he's already accepted us? And the first one is this. We are the handiwork of God and we are chosen, accepted, and loved by him. 
We're all the handiwork of God. We're all his creation, right? And he's already chosen, accepted, and loved us. Psalm 139 tells us this. It tells us that we are fearfully and wonderfully made, right? When we were being put together in our mother's womb, God saw us. David is saying this, I, I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame wasn't hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written, every one of them, the days formed for me before one of them even began, when there was yet none of them. And one of the things I want to highlight from this, not only did God see you before you were even created, right? Not only did God make you the way he wants you, he doesn't make mistakes. I think that's an important thing for us to realize. God doesn't make mistakes. And when I say God doesn't make mistakes, he's, you are not a mistake. You are not a dud. That's not how it works. This assembly line talk, right, that we use, we're like, oh, well, maybe God, maybe God forgot to add um, a little bit of, uh, I don't know, a little, a little bit of uh, confidence, right? Maybe God forgot to add a little bit of this when he created me, right? Not one time has God picked you up, looked at you, and said, I should have added more fill-in-the-blank. Or I shouldn't have added this much fill-in-the-blank. Not once has God ever looked at you and done that. He wants you, as you are, warts and all. Now, you're meant to work through the warts, right? But he wants you. He doesn't, he, he didn't make a mistake when he created you as you. Does that make sense? Because a lot of times we're not comfortable in our own skin. We're not comfortable with how God made us. We're not comfortable with the things that are wrong, whether it's, it's some sort of chemical imbalance, whether it's some sort of injury, whatever it may be. God doesn't make mistakes. Paul tells us that before the foundations of the earth, right, before time and space began, he chose us that we should be holy and blameless before him in love. He predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has blessed us in Christ, the beloved. Right? I, I, like, I like how Paul talks about how he chose us before time and space began. Like before time and space began, he already knew all of you fully. How many days you're going to live, how many hairs are on your head, the things about your personality that you can't stand, the ways that you might take off your family members, right? The things that you enjoy doing on a regular basis, right? He knows all of that. He's always known all of that. And I love it because he chose us. He accepts us. He loves us. Now, a lot of us don't know that. And a lot of us don't live in that, right? There's people out there who don't know they have a God that loves them. And it's our job to tell them about them, right? There's a lot of people who don't know that there's a God who desires intimacy and relationship with them, and that that can only come through Jesus Christ. But God chose us, right? David writes in Psalm 27, and this is the NLT translation. Louis Giglio uses this in his book, and I really liked it. I'm not typically an NLT guy. I'm more of an ESV guy. Um, but I love the way it's phrased. It says, even if my father and my mother abandon me, the Lord will hold me close. Even if everybody else in this world who I cared about, who's supposed to value me as a human being, who's supposed to stand by my side, even if they betray me, even if they abandon me, even if they leave me, even if they say they don't want anything to do with me, God 
holds me close. And not only does he hold us close, but he also allows room for healing in that. Something that Gilio says is, the decision of an earthly parent cannot trump the decision that God made when he created you. Some of you have hurt because your parents left you or your parents betrayed you or hurt you. And those decisions do not determine your value. What determines your value is the God who created you. Because people are broken. Hurt people hurt people. God created you, sees you for who you are, sees you for the value that you have. And his love for you totally overpowers the love any human relationship, whether healthy or unhealthy, could give you. The second thing, the second thing that I want to look at, how do we know that we are already accepted by God? Is because we are worth Jesus to God. We are worth Jesus to God. See, the gospel isn't this cutesy little church thing that we talk about, right? It's not this little thing that, that, that we just kind of throw, oh, the gospel, right? Like, it's not, it's not this small thing that's just mentioned in the Bible, and yes, we live our lives according to it, maybe. No, it's, it's the grand summary of every human being's worth. It is the grand summary of every single human being's worth. Because when God, God Almighty, Yahweh, was faced with the decision to live without us, us sinful, broken, messy creatures, right? When he was faced with that decision, what did he do? He didn't zap us and start all over. He chose to have Jesus die for us. You see, we have a God who would rather surrender his everything then lose us. John 3.16 tells us this, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that those who believe in him will not perish but they'll have everlasting life. That everlasting life is with God. That is constant community with God as he intended it. Now that community also starts here. A lot of times we like to separate, you know, eternity. Our idea of eternity sometimes is like, oh, that begins when we die. But there is a this side of eternity. This is the short side of eternity, a very different, painful side of eternity. Paul says that creation groans for the next side, right? But this is a part of that. The life that you have in Christ happens now. And then he gets to keep going, right? He gave himself, he gave his everything for us just so that we could know that he loves us. Because he was totally faced with the choice of leaving us out in the dust. When Jesus saw the vast entirety of the universe all throughout history, right, before he physically came to do his ministry and way after he physically came to do his ministry, right, he saw it, he saw the sin, he saw the brokenness, the darkness, the messiness, the pain, the hurt, everything, and not once did he turn his back on us. In fact, he went to the cross knowing exactly what he was doing. Because we were worth it to him. We've always been worth it to him. We're accepted in him. God gave Jesus for us. We are worth his everything. And so what in the world do we do with these two things? The first thing is we need to live our life from acceptance 
and not for it. Live your life from acceptance and not for it. See, a lot of times we're still so caught up in, in, oh, maybe if I do this thing, they'll love me more. Or maybe if I do this thing or, or say this thing or perform this way or, or put more effort into this, that, or the other, or change this about myself, they'll accept me. But with God, it's not that way at all. In fact, we've already been accepted. We don't have to live for him to accept us. He's already accepted us. Now, there is action on our part. We can't just do whatever we want, right, because we've been accepted. If you have been accepted by God, you have a responsibility to have a relationship with him, to maintain that relationship with him. And I'll get to that in the next point. But you're meant to live your life from acceptance and not for it because our identity, our value, our beauty, our purpose, all of this stems from the fact we've already been accepted by him. And that can't be changed by any human opinion. No human being, because we're all sinners, we're all broken, we're all messy. No human being's opinion of you, or word about you, or thoughts about you, or attitudes toward you, anything, can shake what God says about you, can shake how God sees you, to shake how God thinks about you. Nothing can change that. Nothing will change that. And that's the kind of confidence that David actually has. We're going to look back at 1 Samuel 17, verses 37. And then 45 through 47. You see, David, he's been discouraged, right? Saul's told him, he's like, you can't go out there. You're just a little kid. And so this is what David says. He says, your servant used to keep sheep for his father. When there was a lion or a bear and took a lamb from the flock, I went after him. I struck him. And I delivered it out of his mouth. And if he arose against me, I caught him by his beard, and I struck him and killed him. So your servant has struck down both lions and bears, and this uncircumcised Philistine will be just like one of them. For he has defied the armies of the living God. And this is verse 37. This is the big one. The Lord, who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear, will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And then Saul says, go. May the Lord be with you. David has no issue with striking down this Philistine. I mean, yeah, it's a very different kind of thing from a lion or bear, but where's his confidence? His confidence is in the fact that God has protected him in these little things. He's going to protect me in this big thing. He's always with me. My acceptance, my ability, isn't based on myself. It's based on the God who protects me. And the second thing, I love this. Dude, this 12-year-old goes off on this giant. So we're going to look, uh, skip down a few verses, 45 to 47. David has just been called out by Goliath. And he knows Goliath is looking down on him because he's a baby-faced kid who's never seen war. And I love it because he says, this 12-year-old, right, he says to Goliath, you're coming at me with a sword and a spear and a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of armies of Israel, whom you have defiled. Defied, sorry. This day, the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you down, and I will cut off your head. And I will give the dead bodies of the hosts of the Philistine to this day, to the birds of the air, to the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel, and that this assembly may know that the Lord saves not with a sword or a spear. 
the battle is already the Lord's, and he will give you into our hand. And I love this confidence from David because he didn't let his age, he didn't let his size, he didn't let his experience, he didn't let the fact that he's just a shepherd determine whether or not he wanted to allow God to use him. He didn't let any of that determine that. Sure, those thoughts probably juggled around in his head a little bit because people were saying it to him left and right. But his confidence, his acceptance was in God. And he saw the opportunity God was handing him and he took it. Not only did he take it, but he let the creator be his confidence and he saved Israel, right? And so there's a secondary part to living from acceptance, right? I mentioned there's action required on our part, and that brings me to the second application points. We need to pursue the one who's pursuing us. Pursue the one who's pursuing you, right? Because it's one thing, it is one thing to know, yeah, I have a God who loves me. I have a God who accepts me no matter what. But in a relationship, which is what it is, what it's meant to be, there's action required on our part, right? We have two responses, two responses to the gospel. We can either totally shrug it off and think, yeah, there's this God who loves me, this God who's given me grace and acceptance, right? Now I can do whatever I want. Ladies and gentlemen, that's called cheap grace. And that's abusing God's love. Or we can respond like David does in Psalm 8. I'm going to read it to us. It's not on the screen, but I wanted to read it to you all. This is Psalm 8. Uh, There's fun theories around this psalm that he actually wrote this before he became king. And so he says, O Lord, our Lord, O Yahweh, our Adonai. Yahweh is the official formal name for God, right? Um, And then Lord. Adonai means master, right? There's two. Uh, our English language doesn't have words for that. But, O oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouths of babes and infants, you've established strength because of your foes to still the enemy and the avenger. When I look at your heavens, at the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you've set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him and the Son of Man that you care for him. Yet you've made him lower than the heavenly beings. You've crowned him with glory and honor. You've given him dominion over the works of your hands. And you've put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, all the beasts of the field, the birds of the heaven and the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the seas. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. And so I said we have two responses to the gospel. We can either reject it or live in cheap grace. Or we can let it propel us Godward, right? And we can rejoice. We can thank God for what he's done for us in our life and have no choice but to realize, hey, we're all a bunch of crummy humans and sinners, right? But we have a God who tells us that we're valuable and we have purpose. And he wants us to walk that out. And he wants to guide us every step of the way. And he wants us to walk in who he says we are and how he sees us. And so as you go out into this week, 
I want to challenge you just to live in the acceptance of God. Remember that you're accepted by God. Remember that other people are accepted by God too. Because we know rejected people reject people. And people carry that. And so watch, watch how you speak to people. Watch how you think about people. But live from the place of acceptance. I'm going to pray us out and then we've got some announcements real quick. Dear God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for uh, this study. Uh, David and Goliath, like, like what beautiful lessons we can learn from 1 Samuel 17. God, we thank you that you've already told us how valuable we are. You've already shown us how valuable you find us to be through your word, through your son, Jesus. You've given everything for us just to show us how much you love us, how beautiful and and worthwhile and and purposeful and 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 just incredible you think that we are. And I don't get it. I don't get it. The gospel doesn't make any logical sense. But that's the beauty of it because you choose to love us. And so, God, I just ask that as we go out into this week, would we be encouraged by your love for us? Would we be challenged not to find our value in others' acceptance of us, but to find our value in how you've already accepted us and let that drive our behaviors, let that drive how we love people, let that drive how we work. Because we're meant to work as if we're working for you anyway. So God, we love you. Thank you for this time. It's your name and pray. Amen.